you're listening to the gamer podcast i'm eric from the gamer.com editing team and today we've got a review of shin megami tensei 5 a preview of elden ring and the biggest news stories of the week let's go Welcome to the show, joined today by an elite panel of esteemed gamers, including Stacey Henley. Hello. And Jake King. Hello, gamers. And Meg Pliccio. Hello. Uh, Here's the news. The rundown, if you will. Uh, Mass Effect and Seven Day, the annual celebration of all things Mass Effect, happened this past weekend? Yeah. Saturday? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and at the end of the event, uh, Bioware released a new poster, um, and reminded us that another Mass Effect is on the way. And the poster is pretty cool and maybe even reveals some hints about the future Mass Effect, Stacey? Yeah, the, um, the poster centers on a big massive Geth crater, and there appears to be a Geth lying dead next to it. We do see four other characters who... You can speculate might be Liara. Uh, one of them is definitely a crow, and so maybe Rex. But the main story is because it's a dead Geth and a Geth crater. That implies that the destroy ending, Mass Effect Three, ends with a choice of three endings, all of which directly affect the Geth. Um, the Geth being dead implies that the destroy ending was chosen, which has pretty big ramifications in a game that's always been about your choice because it suggests the next one's going to completely disregard that and tell you you chose Destroy, which I personally think they should do, but a lot of people won't like that. Now, when you say it's a Geth crater, it's like a crater in the shape of a Geth's head, right? Yeah, it's yeah, it's a huge... It's not actually a Geth, because it's huge. Like the A Geth stands at about six foot tall, and the crater is ten times the size of the spaceship that landed right. it. This is a massive, massive thing. It could conceivably have been an imprint left by the Geth Reaper. We know that the um, the Reapers were building Reapers that looked like the species they were there to harvest. The Mass Effect 2 ends with the big Shuin Reaper. It could conceivably be a Reaper shaped like a Geth that died and mm. crash-landed, leaving a crater. But Presumably some sign of the Reaper would be there, not just the crater, and we don't see that, so it's probably not that. Explain the destroy ending thing to me, because didn't, as far as I remember from not actually playing those games, but they there was an ending that players didn't like, and then later they added a different ending? Is that what um, happened? Not, not quite. It originally gave you three different choices, which were destroy, in which case that's kind of the ending that the game tells you to pick all the way through with, you know, we need to defeat the Reapers. That uh-huh. sees Shepard sacrifice themselves and the Reapers get destroyed. But into the bargain, Shepard dies. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's control, in which case Shepard sacrifices themselves again in order to control the Reapers. So the Reapers don't die, but they bend to Shepard's will. And then there is synthesis, um, which is organic and synthetic life meld together. And the thing with Destroy, it didn't just target the Reapers, it was everything electronic. So the Geth, some of whom were good guys now, haven't been the bad guys for the first two games, uh, Edie, your electronic crewmate, and 
all the Mass Effect relays, all of the technology all got destroyed. What people didn't like was when it originally came out, you picked an ending and it ended. Mm-hmm. It was finished, done. Um, no one knew what that meant. You just picked destroy and you saw an explosion. Then it was like, thanks for playing credits. Gotcha. Uh, they released, I think it was called the extended cut, which was like a, a voiceover narration of what each ending meant. Uh, Admiral Haggard, I think, did Destroy. Edie did Synthesis. And I can't remember who did Control. Liara, probably, would be my guess. Someone else did Control, anyway. So a specific person narrated what happened, um, which made it a bit clearer, the ramifications of your choice. Like, if you picked Synthesis, you saw Organics and Synthetics working together. If you picked um, Control, you saw the ramifications of what that meant. I see. Uh, and I, I guess if this hints that control is the canon ending. Destroy. Uh, destroy is the canon ending. Is that uh, like going to be satisfying to, to people or is that controversial? Choosing any ending would be controversial gotcha. because Mass Effect is a choice-based game. And if you invested, each game can take, what, 60 hours to be? No, he's not the first one. And then... Maybe it's the third one a bit longer with all the DLC. So you've let's let's call it two hundred hours, and then you get the sequel and it says, "Yeah, that didn't happen. You played that game wrong. This guy over here did it right." Right. Um, so people aren't going to like that. But if they are going to pick one of the three, destroy is the most sensible one to pick because mm-hmm. for it to be syn what's it called synthesis for it to be synthesis. You're then looking at all humans and all robots and all AI are now one big amalgamous life form, and that no one is going to pick that game up and understand that. So that's out. They're never doing that. Um, and control means the Reapers will still be there, which ten years after the last Mass Effect game just feels like a bad choice. Well, they have to pick one. I mean, how how else would you do it? I don't think it's possible, especially with Synthesis completely changing the shape of the game. You know. You have one ending where AI and organic and synthetic life forms still exist. You have one where they're dead, and you have one where you are a synthetic life form, even though you're a human. I don't think they can ever coexist. Yeah. The only way to do it would be to set it way, way, way in the future, which they're not doing because Liara's in it, and even though she's young, I saw her only live, I think, 800 years. So at the most, it's going to be. 600 or so years in the future. Nowhere near enough time that we've evolved beyond being robots anymore. <laughs> yeah, so right. there's no way they're making this game. And Is that enough time for them to either rebuild the Mass Effect relays or create some new kind of technology? Because otherwise, if you're in the Destroy ending, you're presumably stuck in some little spit of the universe with the same characters because you can't travel all over the place meeting new people. Uh, yeah, that's that's the thing. Yeah, destroy is probably the most interesting ending in terms of like narrative and character because Shepard's dead, and you could argue the destroy decision is the controversial one. So, if you've got like an if you're playing a named character or you make your own again, the the opening first act of this new Mass Effect could just be you going, "Oh, did Shepard make the right decision?" Because now we need to deal mm-hmm. with all his bullshit. And maybe you'd spend your time figuring out how to rebuild that technology and realizing, oh, we won the war, but now we need to clean everything up before whether this ends up being a new trilogy or 
just a one-off kind of thing they'll probably introduce a new threat once you've got your bearings but i think synthesis and the other ending like they don't quite tie, tie a bow on things but they don't offer as many interesting story possibilities that that destroy would have and as you said like they need to pick one like i'd rather they stick to their guns instead of trying to appeal to everyone and you have to think as well as like the wider world goes no one knew shepherd was given a choice yeah. Shepard went to destroy the Reapers, and the Reapers were destroyed. No one knows that a little child ghost boy turned up and no. said, "Want to be a robot?" No one knows that happened. <laughs> All they know like, is they everyone won. expected Shepard to destroy the Reapers. Like right. they won, Shepard's dead. Now what do we do? Like that's yeah. what they're doing. And Andromeda didn't work. They'll write that out of the mythos completely, or they'll reference it in some way. But this seems like it's the direct sequel to the original trilogy. Yeah, Andromeda is far enough in the future that I don't even need to touch it. I think if they went with the control ending, it wouldn't be as good because you'd just get every fan sitting there waiting for the Reapers to somehow yeah. turn evil again. Oh, I hope they don't. Yeah. And, and, then, and then it would happen somehow and you'd be like, oh yeah, I saw that coming. <laughs> as much as I love Liara, Meg makes the point that obviously if you are with Liara, you're going to be stuck with people in Liara's immediate vicinity. I'd yeah. rather we just had a completely new crew Maybe he's not um, in the aftermath of Mass Effect, but set it, you know, 200, 300 years, however many years you want after it. But, you know, having it be Liara, even if it is those 300 or so years later, I don't think they'll rebuild the Mass Effect relays. I mean, it's a video game about space aliens. They can make it up and just say, oh, yeah, we did. Yeah. Oh, we figured like, out. Oh, we found the instructions on Mars. It takes 10 minutes. It's easy. Um, <laughs> but it would be weird for them to do it that way. I guess because there was such a huge conclusion to the trilogy, it seems weird to me that they're not just continuing Andromeda, which is a s separate story. I think it's too soured. It. Like Andromeda, yeah. like it's not a great game by any stretch of the imagination, but they tried to expand this universe and move away from Shepard. And a lot of people were vitriolic towards that. So I don't quite think this is them playing the safe bet but it's it yeah this is moving away from shepherd too right hopefully i yeah. think this is still within shepherd's wheelhouse yeah um he will for the be... record 45 percent of yeah. players chose destroy okay we talked about mass effect uh actually our mass effect week was the first episode i'm pretty sure oh. um and we talked a little bit then about what we knew about this new one, but um, what what other details do we have about you know what kind of game it's going to be and how it's going to be different from the rest of the series? I think it's a long, like Dragon Age Four is probably still a, a couple of years away at least, and this will come after that, I imagine. Like we uh -huh. we got a trailer at the Game Awards last year, which was in a similar vein to this poster. It seemed to have that crew of four people led by Liara investigating a snowy planet, and they they found the remnants of. Was it Shepard's armor, like the N7? I think it was the N7 armor. I need to go back and look. Which yeah, because that's why people think the Geth Corpse is Legion, right? Because they're like, oh, they found the N7 armor. So which Legion more? Yeah. Oh, okay. That makes a lot of sense then. <clears throat> those two. Could... But beyond that, we don't really know much at all. Well, some people think that the Krogan is Rex because he, he looks like he's wearing red. But then going back to what Stacey said, that because obviously Rex could. Rex could die depending on your choices. So again, you'd be rewriting your Mass Effect history, not even from the latest game, but from much earlier yeah. on. Yeah. He's just back from the dead. <laughs> and depending on what you do earlier in Mass Effect 3, Legion may not be there. 
Oh yeah. You might have defeated him as some rubbish boss. I don't think it's possible for Liara to be dead, but Legion can die in the suicide mission and he can die in an arc in Mass Effect 3. So if they're going with, oh, we found Legion's body with Rex and Liara, they're just telling you how you played Mass Effect. But you could have got rid of it. You could have given him to Cerberus. Oh yeah, Adrian, you do a yeah. pretty much forever. Yeah. You can just sell and then, him. And then you encounter him as like a an enemy that you fight. Yeah. So yeah. It always seems like they gotta <laughs> just have a whole new cast. That's the thing, yeah. They tried that with Andromeda. I I think they should have done it somewhere in the middle. Problem with Andromeda was they went to a new galaxy and they had two enemy types and they were the same. There was like these guys, and then there was like, what if these guys were evil? I think, well, yeah. you are evil because they're shooting at us all the time. <laughs> All right, moving on. Uh, we already have possibly some news about Amy Hennig's Marvel game, uh, which we talked about last week. Uh, co-host of Kevin Smith's Fat Man on Batman podcast, Mark Bernadin, uh, announced on the show that he is writing for the game. And when pressed by chat to reveal what the game is about, he hinted that they that that someone in chat had guessed it, and the only plausible guesses at that point were Ant Man and Fantastic Four. So this is not maybe a confirmation. Maybe I'll get my Galactus film that I wanted. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> Certainly not a confirmation. Almost nothing, but possibly this new Marvel game is going to be either the Fantastic Four or Ant Man. What are your thoughts? Um, I think, you know, when you talk about only plausible guesses, there just aren't that many superhero games that you could make. You know, like if you were to write down all the all the superheroes that are likely to get a game, I don't think the list would be that long because they need to be someone that we've heard of that are like reliable. And you'd have to take off. Well, it's not. It's obviously not going to be Spider Man. You know, it has to be Marvel. Yeah. It's not going to be like Batman or Superman or any of them. It's not going to be Wolverine, because that's being made. Probably won't be the X-Men, because it's made a Wolverine game. The list of people it might be, really, would be the two you've said. Blade. Um, Daredevil. Uh, I mean, they're not going to make a Jessica Jones game. They aren't. So. Yeah, I see your point. At first I was like, what? It could be a million different characters. Um, but, I, but then at the same time, we've got... Uh, the Firaxis game, which has characters nobody's heard of in it. Yeah, I think if you have a big game like that, like with a big cast, but the Firaxis game is being sold on, it has Doctor Strange, Wolverine, and Blade in it. Right. Yeah, and then Magic, yeah. and one of the Runaways, and a bunch of stuff you, you haven't heard of, so I don't know. Then, I... Maybe they will pluck someone out of obscurity. Like When you went back to like when Ant-Man was announced for the films, everyone was like, oh, why are they choosing him? All he does right. is he gets small and stuff. You know, no one really, unless you're already like a Marvel fan, he didn't seem like a good choice. Maybe they'll do something similar and then, you know, that person will then be popular. It's a good point just because, you know, six months ago, if you found out they were making a Shang-Chi game, that would be absurd. Yeah, that's but, true. But if they announce a Shang-Chi game right now, that sounds like a really cool idea. That's yeah. That's if they're working with the MCU and they've got one of the things that's coming up, um, which you know would be the Fantastic Four. Yeah, <laughs> true. And they made a new Ant Man movie, so 
probably still one of those two. But if there's a yet to be revealed MCU thing that's really cool that they end up working on, um, I would I would take it. I just don't think games are as brave as films when it comes to yeah. like to do this thing. I think games need things that are more tried and tested. A hundred percent because of the time investment and ah well and the cost for sure. When I think of uh, like Amy Hennig and Uncharted and stuff, I think Ant Man seems like a way better fit. I mean, he's pretty close to Nathan Drake just in terms of personality already. And if it's going to be, why are you, why are you smiling like that? I, you don't I think just, Ant-Man's like Nathan Drake? I think Ant-Man has a, has a personality. <laughs> <laughs> They're both quippy, handsome nerds, right? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and I guess I don't love team up games. I, I say that having really loved Guardians. <laughs> Thought that was a great game, but I, I would much rather have a, a a you know story about one hero than than a team up. I guess. But when you play Guardians as Star Lord, I, I couldn't be yes. doing with playing Fantastic Four and being Mister Fantastic. There's just no way that that's the thing I would enjoy. Right. Yes. Unless it's going to be a Dr. Doom game and you play as Dr. Doom and you kill the Fantastic Four. No, that would be a very cool idea that they're definitely <laughs> not going to do. They're definitely not going to do that. Uh, but for for like a third-person action-adventure Uncharted-style game, if, you know, I'm just... We can assume it's going to be Uncharted-style, I think. Yeah. yeah. It'll be a linear, like, narrative blockbuster kind of deal. Yeah. And an Ant-Man thing with, like, cool environments and changing sizes and lots of... S- Action set pieces, highly cinematic. That seems like it could be a pretty cool game. Yeah, I think Ant-Man's a really good... If, if it is Ant-Man, I think Ant-Man's a really good choice. I think if I was picking any, like none of this speculation, I'd probably say Daredevil is the best fit for the Uncharted mm. style of game. Um, you know, because I think Uncharted kind of invented its own thing with how it did the traversal action and bringing a character like Daredevil, who's blind, gives you a new perspective... And it would be just really cool to have a blind action hero and to have that be incorporated into the game. But Ant-Man's a really good fit as well. Yeah. It would be the only time in a game where the, like, in combat, where you get, like, that alert over the enemy's heads. You know, like, in Batman, it, like, turns yeah. red if you can't count. Like, if it was Daredevil, it would at least make sense for once. Yeah. He actually can see that stuff. <laughs> I guess Spider-Man can too, though. Yeah, Spider-Man has that better sense. It, but Batman does not. Batman does not see, like, this yellow line means he's got a knife. <laughs> right. <laughs> Troy Baker's Ant-Man. Okay. Give it a couple <laughs> of years. Um, okay, cool. I'm sure that it will be a very, very long time before we hear about this game again. <laughs> yeah, this is years away. Yeah. yeah. Like, this game awards like... next year, we might get a reveal. Maybe. Right. Maybe. Maybe. I'm not if, convinced on that. <laughs> if it even happens. Like, if it doesn't get shut down, like all of Amy Hennig's other projects the last decade. <laughs> Don't true. jinx yeah. it! No. Saying it uh, will is the opposite of jinxing it. It's unjinxing it. That's true. The counter jinx. A pro-gamer move. Meg, talk to us about the Endwalker delay. <laughs> I'm the worst person to talk to about it, because I didn't mind the delay. <laughs> As someone well, what who are has the facts? the last... <laughs> basically, um, they 
the team like Yoshi P I, I mean it was a really like super sweet like uh, video I don't know how anyone could be annoyed at the delay after that they were so sweet you could see he was really moved by what he was saying but they wanted more time to quality test it essentially I have no complaints with that anyway because the last thing you want is people on day one going oh well this is buggy and all this you know just wait a couple of weeks and it's better the the announcement of the delay was the most earnest and heartfelt apology for really a two was. week delay. It was painfully Japanese. You would like, think he was chill <laughs> out. Think he was delaying it by like a year or something, right? Um, and and yet there's still people who are mad over it. Well, I don't understand. I don't understand. I, I think Moogle it's interesting. The two weeks more, like that's your consolation prize. A two-week delay is nothing, right? Like, I've never even heard of a two-week delay. I'm sure yeah, it's happened. it really is nothing. But at the same time, Final Fantasy XIV is a much different beast. It's, it's, this is not a, like a typical game getting delayed. When, when an MMO expansion comes out, especially one as big as Endwalker, which sounds like it's going to be, you know, the big finale for, yeah. like, the biggest expansion... It, Final Fantasy XIV is at its peak right now, and of course, like people are taking time off work and are have been preparing, have been grinding out, getting ready for this. A two week delay for N Walker right now means that it comes out the same week as uh, Halo. It's now in December when a lot of people in like the service industry and retail and stuff can't take time off in December. To be fair, so, early access is still in November. <laughs> so how does that work? Is it like the beta or what? It's like if you pre-ordered, I think it's just pre-orders. Is that right, Jade? You um, you, you yeah. get to play a few days earlier. Um, I totally get the the whole annual leave thing. I do get it, but the way I see it is, if they'd stuck to the release date, you probably wouldn't have been able to play much anyway. Because let's face it, when it comes to MMOs and expansions and releases like that. It comes down to the servers and, and having problems like accessing the game. So if they felt the need to delay it by like two weeks, it's it's probably server related in some way. Uh, of course, absolutely. I'm I'm not saying that the delay is not justified. If they need to delay their game, they got to delay their game. That's yeah. just the facts, right? But I think this is a massive two week delay. <laughs> it, yeah, it's like... two weeks seems like nothing, but it but for these players, it's got to be a, a really big deal. So obviously I don't want them harassing or or like I don't even want to hear them whining about it, but I get it. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I get, I get it. I get it. I know this section has been like good news for people who aren't fans of my voice, but just to chime in, <laughs> um, <laughs> the biggest game release, regardless of what happened afterwards, by far the biggest game release of last year was December 10th with Cyberpunk. Like the amount of records that broke. You can still, re I mean, it was garbage, but you can still release a game in December <laughs> and have yeah. a lot of success off the back of it. Yes, but well, yes, is going to be massive. Like but that. MMOs, we're talking about MMOs. No, I, I, I understand the difference, but Cyberpunk was one of those games where people were taking days off work for it. Oh yeah, absolutely. They probably shouldn't have. No, they <laughs> probably shouldn't have. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, it's fucked. Like yeah. <laughs> but I think, regardless of when they release Endwalker, especially having played Shadowbringers when that launched, getting into that game 
in the launch month alone, you were looking at queue times of like 20 plus minutes. And oh, yeah. I think since since Shadowbringers released, like two years ago now, Final Fantasy XIV's popularity has skyrocketed significantly. Right. And I think this Endwalker is going to have a relatively rough launch, regardless of when they delayed the game, because that's just the nature yeah. of MMOs, I think. Like, queue times, server issues. And I think it is normal. I think like, this development yeah. of this game has come down to the wire in a lot of ways thanks to the pandemic. Right. I think this this decision was probably made rather well, rapidly, Jade I think. Interviewed Yoshi P and he didn't he say at the time that he was barely sleeping then? Yeah, like that dude. He's gonna the like work. Poor guy. <laughs> uh so I'm not surprised they've had to delay it. Maybe now he can get some sleep. Oh no, he won't. 100% now. This is complete opposite. Yeah, the opposite. In January, you can get some sleep. Uh, Jade, you're going to be reviewing Endwalker? Yes. Andrea sadly left us, so bring it on. But Jade already got to play it a little bit. I'm well jealous. Oh, you didn't miss much. You can't say you can't be like no, it's gonna be so stuff, good, yeah. but you didn't miss much. <laughs> no, so I I love the story and stuff. I, I can take and leave the battle system. Like, I'm here for like there weren't no story in that preview. It was just lots of. Oh, okay, fair enough. Yeah, well, I suppose that would be pretty big spoilers, wouldn't it? I have it on good authority that uh, Andrew will be coming back to talk about N Walker. Yes. Yeah. So <laughs> we'll all do a big old N Walker episode. Hopefully, we can peel you away from the game for. Uh, <laughs> For some time, just do it while you're queuing. Just <laughs> yeah, good point. Queuing, yeah, podcast. Oh, for two hours, come back, join the game. Oh my god, it's going to be a nightmare. I can't wait. <laughs> uh, there is no way that they are prepared for the influx of players at launch. End. Absolutely There's not. No way. It's Absolutely just not. It would be impossible. Not that um, but yeah. I wonder if that old trick will still work. Where if you, if you talk to an NPC, it well, it doesn't boot you. I want to try that out. Mm. <laughs> What's the new release date? December 7th. So three days before Halo Infinite. Yeah. So does that mean no Halo for you? I don't know yet. We'll have to no, wait. When, when was Monster Rancher coming out? No. <laughs> oh, no. Pour oh, one out for Monster coming. Rancher. Uh, okay, let's talk I'll about... I'll play that while I'm queuing. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about uh, Dinga Bakaba, director of Deathloop has been promoted to head of uh, Arcane Leon. And I that's very good news, because uh, he's obviously a, like, a great director. He's been with uh, Arcane for quite a while. And Deathloop uh, is, I, for me, one of my top 10 games of the year. I, I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it was Kirk and Dave that were here for that episode. But um, where, where did everybody else land on Deathloop? I enjoyed it enough to say that I had fun with it, but it won't be in my top ten. Okay. I'm rubbish at those games, so <laughs> can't I can't shoot or kill. I just I'm rubbish. <laughs> I don't know if I have ten games to put in a top ten. I'll figure oh my. it out. You I you would if you if you sat there and thought about it, definitely. I always forget about things until someone reminds me. Same. I can't list things, I'm not good at that. Did you play much Deathloop, Jade? Uh, yeah, I played a decent amount. I was going to say, you got killed in... by Kirk, didn't you? There's not Loads many people who didn't. I, I didn't get really... <laughs> I don't think I got very far. Like, I didn't progress towards the end of the campaign, but I did spend about, well, like, 10 to 15 hours just, like, messing about, exploring and killing people. 
it's a really well made game. I think. Yeah. That's the thing that they're going to take forward. You know, they're, they're not going to. They might make Deathloop too. Probably not with some kind of weird PlayStation Xbox license and thing. But Deathloop feels like a game that's being crafted, and that's why I'm happy about the promotion. It doesn't just feel like yes, this sold X amounts of units, have a title and some money. Right. It feels like there's a direction that Arcane is continuing to head in. That it's always had these slightly different experiences that start with an idea and build from there instead of, you know, a lot of video game things start with, we need to do this level and we want to have this kind of story and we want to have all these elements going into it. And Arcane games tend to be a lot more refined in that they're built around very simple ideas that they refine into the best possible version of that to the point where it's not like other games on the market. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good point. Seeing Dinga get promoted to the top leadership role is it communicates to me that the direction of that arcane studio is going to like be consistent with that yeah. like it not only was Deathloop successful but we want you to keep making games the way that you make games uh and you know as someone who's like obsessed with their games that's very good news for me, and I'm sure it's very good news for Dinga too. So, yeah, they have so many talented people that they could make a game that sold more, but they sure. want to make a better game, and that's what they make. Yeah, and I'd be very interested to see what the sales data is like for Deathloop because that will be the last one that's not, you know, a Game Pass game. Yeah, yeah. So we'll we'll never have like a release like Deathloop again from. Uh, from any of the Bethesda studios. Weird. Yeah. <laughs> uh, finally, I just want to touch on um, Arcane and everything Riot is doing throughout November. Um, you know, last year for their 10th anniversary, they like announced 13 games or something. <laughs> this year isn't quite as uh, outrageous, but it still sort of is like they're all around arcane, which is the new Netflix league of legends show, which we can talk about a little bit. Um, They are doing crossovers with like every big game from like jinxes and Fortnite. There's PUBG among us. Like they're, they're adding league of legends stuff to like every game. And then they are today. They just announced a new game uh, of, free runner from the bit trip studio and as each group of episodes come out they're releasing three episodes a week they're gonna have announcements of like crossovers and new stuff like every single week so it's kind of a yeah kind of wild all the stuff that riot's announcing if you're a league of legends fan it's like league of legends month base basically is anyone here a league of legends fan everyone has I assume everyone has played League of Legends. Everyone in yeah. the world I has genuinely played League of Legends. Haven't. No, genuinely not one game. No one game. Is it, is it something game. I need to try? <laughs> I uh, am a fake gamer. It's like Pokemon Unite with more people <laughs> yelling things at you and less Pokemon. <laughs> so no, you don't need to try it. You are bold to assume that I have played Pokemon Unite. <laughs> I have not. <laughs> they really make comparisons. I, I describe Pokemon Unite as it's like League of Legends, but and I describe League uh-huh. of Legends as it's like Pokemon Unite, but so I, I can't help you. 
I don't do well in games where I have to be good at it. So yes, <laughs> you're a games journalist. That's kind of, that's kind of how we roll. Um, it's so true, though. I just, I just don't. Yeah. Someday we'll hire a hardcore league player. I'm oh, pretty sure we have some on the team. <laughs> we we did. It was it was Andrea. We've lost her. Right. <laughs> Andrea right, is right, right, right. No, I'm yeah. pretty sure Juliet is a league player as well. Uh, I play a lot of Wild Rift, which is the yeah. mobile version. Uh, it's very good. It's not nearly as sweaty. Much easier to learn. Oh, much more okay. contained. Uh, very fun. Uh, yes, I have played a lot of League, and I've played a ton of TFT. Uh, I like Runeterra, too, which is the League card game. I like Runeterra. I play Runeterra. I like Runeterra a lot, um, but I don't play Valorant. That's my Riot resume. I like that that band they did. <laughs> that's my contribution. Yes. KDA, KDA. I like that. Yeah. I like that's, KDA. That's the extent of my knowledge <laughs> and, and what I like. I've played more Valorant than any of the games you've mentioned as well. So mm. between us, we kind of have Riot. Uh, but I've watched all of Arcane. I think Jade has two. I've Indeed, seen all of Act yeah. 1. Okay, yeah, we've all... And Meg, have you seen any of it? I've seen episode I four as well. But I, I got that. told I should watch it. I, I got you told sh- you even really if you're should. not a League fan, it's very good. you should, you should still you, watch yeah, it. Yeah, you don't need to be a League yeah. fan to watch no, it. No, it, it does a very good job of, like... It's it's essentially an origin story for two characters, so it, it does a very good job of, like, drawing you into the world. You don't really need any player knowledge. I I totally agree. I I know more about... League. I've spent more time digging into League lore than I have playing the games because I'm just a huge nerd. Um, <laughs> my partner knows nothing. When when I told her we were going to watch the first episode of the League of Legends show, she thought that it was going to be Justice League. Oh, this fucking loser! Like... <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks, Jade. Uh, so, so. She was apprehensive, not knowing anything. I know uh, quite a bit, but as soon as it started, like the first three minutes are very much like in media res. And it's like, here's a big fight. Here's some characters. There's no dialogue. Yeah. And a bunch of stuff happens. And then they show the title screen. And my partner was like, okay, I'm out. <laughs> but and then imagine starts playing, and it's like, I'm back, I'm back right in, baby. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then imagine Dragon Start. No, um, but it's, it immediately sets up like you're supposed to know what's going on. And I think that's like kind of the only problem with this show. Yeah. Because as soon as you get past the title screen, it's like new characters, who's, who, here's who they are, here's what the world is. We're going to walk you through it. Because none of this stuff is from the lore. Like, first of all, this is like decades before like the current time period of the game. So you don't have to worry about knowing who these people are because this is like, mm. it's kind of a League prequel in a way. Yeah. But, mm. but all of the characters and dynamics and stories in this show are not like based on the game, pulled from the game, ad- adapted from another story or anything. This is all like totally new stuff. And it's totally approachable for people that don't uh, play league or know anything about it, uh, and it's a really good show, right? I like. I think we're all enjoying it. It's like, uh, you know, every the performances are really strong. The animation is really cool. It's just, and it seems like a really good story so far. We've only seen the first act, 
But, yeah, I think uh, the animation especially, because it's just yeah, like a cartoon, it, it like so many cartoons these days look like. It's really fresh and original. Because I was apprehensive when I saw it at the press screenings, and I was like, oh, I, I like League's art style, but I don't care for the game. But even the way this thing's marketed, they're not calling it really League of Legends Arcane, they're just calling it Arcane. And I think that's that's quite deliberate in the way they've marketed it. Like, they're not marketing this for League of Legends fans. They want it to be this big deal. Well, yeah, that's true. I mean, if you were a League of Legends fan, you probably already know about it and know it's League of Legends, so they don't really need to target you already. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, of course. And this is how, like, video game m- movies and shows always work. Like, they're never targeting the players. That's the built-in audience, right? They're, they're always trying to attract the people that don't know, you know, Sonic the Hedgehog or Uncharted or whatever. They don't know that Chris Pratt shouldn't be Mario. Yeah. But <laughs> this one, this one in particular does such a good job of not bastardizing the the game for the sake of a wider audience. Mm. Like I, I think Sonic's a pretty enjoyable movie, but it, but it also is like throws out everything, you know, about Sonic. And it's like, Oh, actually he's from like this other universe. And then he comes to earth where, where Dr. Robotnik's like just a weird dude. Like it just, I'm not, I'm not about to like dive deep into Sonic lore, but that's like all shit they made up for the movie. Right. That's like contradictory to everything we know about Sonic. This is not. Sonic lore is so complex and so is League of Legends. And I think League of Legends have got it right because they've just kind of gone, here's kind of a story that will fit in eventually, we promise. Yeah. Sonic's just kind of gone, no, fast, blue, funny, go. Right. And the really cool thing is that because of the way in game storytelling works for League, it's like, it's it's very sparse. It's a lot like Overwatch, if you've played that too, where. Uh, where the like dynamics and relationship and background and stuff is mostly through like voice lines, yeah, and then you get some of it in like uh, like player icons, and then there's character bios and stuff. But the really cool thing about Arcane is that they have been building into the game what happens in Arcane for years. So now the show is connecting all these dots between like subtle dialogue things and P- and the players are being like oh when this character says this in the game they're talking about this event that happened in arcane it's a really cool thing uh for league players it's like it's a nice nice cherry on top i think so yeah they they're doing the show uh a really smart like good good respect for the player base and totally accessible for people that will never play league <laughs> <laughs> Which you shouldn't. Like <laughs> <laughs> I'll watch the show. That'll be my my compromise. You'll like I'll it. Watch the... Yeah, I guarantee you'll like it. I don't know anyone. I've not heard from anyone who didn't doesn't like it. Like it has problems, like any show does, and it has some there, problems. I bet that there is. There's going to be one person on our team who doesn't like it. There always is one person that has to go against the grain. That's yeah, usually me though, and I'll. <laughs> True. <laughs> you think Keon come on next week and tell us it's shite? <laughs> if it's not him, yeah, if it's not him, it'll be James. <laughs> One of them. That's my it's bet. Good. It's not as good as Jack and Daxter. I'm like... <laughs> oh my god. All right. Uh, that wraps up the news. Let's take a quick break, and we'll be back with Jade to talk oh. about Elden Ring. Oh shit! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great I'm ready. Let's go.
we're back now that we got rid of those losers, losers. those morons. I'm just Fake gamers are out, are out of the way. <laughs> they hate video games. Uh, let's talk about Elden Ring. What is it called? Technical test? Is that what you ne- played? Network test. Network test. A network test is what? What does this mean? So we essentially had access to the had early access to the network test that is being made public on the 12th, I think. Okay. And it's essentially from software's way of testing out the game servers and giving players a feel for the game before it comes out in February. It it was, you could probably mine this build for about 10 hours if you wanted to, but it, mm. it essentially has you pick from a, a selection of classes, plops you into the world, this like small chunk of the map. It's essentially a forested swampy area complete with like a small castle and a couple of bosses you can fight. And they essentially gave us early access to that, let us play, and now we can talk about it. Elden Ring is, uh, of course, the chosen one. Yeah. The game game that's going to... It's the greatest game ever made. It's going to save video game and repair the damage that Cyberpunk did to the Gamosphere. It is. The (laughs) game of fears. Okay. Uh, I am scared to talk about from soft games to be honest they're like scared it's gonna be bad i'm scared of the cult like nature of the fan base and that anything you say you're uh, a fake gamer or a hater or you don't know what you're talking about or whatever let's just say i have no idea what i'm talking about we'll start from there cool uh elden ring is uh, like the rest of FromSoft's library an unofficial sequel to dark souls (laughs) Yeah, this game is Dark Souls as fuck. Like, yeah. that's basically, yeah. If you played any of their games, this game immediately feels familiar. I was yeah. parrying people. I was using the same techniques I'd use in Dark Souls or Bloodborne. Okay, I was getting, I was getting by just fine. I think the thing that separates this game apart from everything else from software's done since Demon Souls is exploration or mm. the scope of its world and the way in which you interact with it interesting okay so my i I have a little dark souls experience and a ton of bloodborne experience okay and the way i would describe the level design is sort of like linear with interconnected paths that lead back to each other it's not it's certainly not an open world game and it's very directed from point to point yeah and then you have some choice about uh which challenges you take on first and which paths you take. How does that, how does, how would Elden Ring compare to that? From my experience, it seems to be an expansion on that design philosophy in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. It's very Breath of the Wild. I think that is really one of the design temples that From Software has taken and ran with because the way in which you explore the world, as you said, it, 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 it is fully open world, but there are, there are places within the world, which are more, conventional Soulsworn dungeons, essentially. Uh-huh. I think they call them legacy maps, whereas, for example, in the technical test, I'm allowed to explore this entire forest of my own volition. But once you defeat the big boss of the beta, and it's not really a beta, but the test, you're, you're able to venture into a castle, which feels like something out of Demon Souls. Uh-huh. It's got, like, patrolling enemies, hidden pathways, and... I see him a boss at the end, like the whole castle isn't explorable in the test, but that feels like traditional Soulsborne, whereas the open world aspect feels more experimental. There is a 
there is like a guide sign of sorts that leads you to places because the bonfires are now called Lost Graces. They're essentially like fluorescent golden beams of light that rest on the floor. And your next major story mission, I suppose, is indicated by like a wisp of light that will swish around the air and will guide you. It, it, it's kind of like the gusts of wind in, gusts of wind in Ghost of Tsushima. Okay. They're, not, they're very much not in your face, but you can... You can see them in the environment, and if you want to pursue the story, you can just go, okay, I'm going to follow this wisp. But the first gotcha. thing I did for a couple of hours was just comb every single like part of this world, because I immediately went to a small abandoned castle outpost, which had like 20 enemies, just, just dossing, really, and I immediately got my ass kicked. And then I realized that this game prioritizes stealth in a way that no From Software game has. Sekiro is pretty stealthy, right? I was, it was getting there. I was getting there. Okay, okay. With, with the exception of Sekiro, it feels like they've incorporated that into this because the map is filled with long grass. And I immediately just went, I'm going to crouch around and backstab as many people as possible before I get spotted. Mm. And then I'll try and fight everyone off. Like the battles feel more vast, but the combat system hasn't really changed. The combat is Dark Souls with the. Oh, what are they called in Sekiro? Like the optional moves that you can use. Do not know. Yeah, but there's kind of like weapon abilities in this that deal like crazy amounts of damage. They're essentially special abilities. Like you press L2 and I can put my sword in the air and cast lightning on someone. Or when you're a spellcaster, you can summon like a giant sword and kill someone in one hit. It feels like, mm. I don't know, it, it's absolutely a Soulsborne game and like, every way but it kind of expands upon it in in like unexpected ways so since it's open world how do you have a sense of what places you can go and which enemies you are strong enough to fight at any given time so in this build once you get the horse you can you can run around the world pretty quickly Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of smaller enemies like just dudes patrolling like with torches or just a bastion of knights just like doing their own thing but there's a lot of larger enemies like these big hulking dudes with like scorching holes in their stomachs carrying around giant sticks and it's often like if it looks like you can't kill it you probably shouldn't go up to mm. it or okay i think a formidable challenge is signposted in enough ways where you're like okay maybe i can try fighting this thing but if I'm if I'm not outfitted to do so, there's an easy escape route. All I need to do is run. But there was one interesting encounter. It was like a, a golden a golden knight on atop a horse. And he was just walking around the open world, but I approached him and like a boss fight energy bar came up. So I was like, okay, so there are just like conventional boss encounters in the open world that aren't mm. found in dungeons. And I thought that was interesting because he kicked my ass. But this game is also there's also a little summon signpost spread throughout the world that hint like this is an area with a with an encounter that is a boss and you should summon here if you need help. So those signposts help navigating the open world. So you're always clear like what's a major boss encounter and what's just a, a mob that you can kill. Cool. And so is that sort of the the crux of the multiplayer is like being able to summon people into your game for boss fights at these like summoning points? I think so. I didn't see this in the technical test, or I just didn't try it, but in the uh-huh. gameplay reveal they did recently, they showed that you'll 
be able to gain abilities where you can just summon spirits to help you fight or like a group of AI controlled companions who can help you progress. That's cool. So that it seems like that might be a little more generous than past games. But from the boss I I played, I was just able to summon two people. We went into fight just like you do in Bloodborne or anything else. Like so I think that system is the is the same. Mm. And then for the traversal, is it just the horse or do you have other tools? Do you have like Sekro grappling hook or anything like that? There's a jump now, which which was unexpected. Like there's just, like X is just a jump button. Okay. But beyond that, just the horse, I think. Okay. And the horse is good. Like like in the trailer, there's very obvious pillars of gusty wind that you can use to jump up. And they're quite effective in in escaping uh, like enemies. I felt felt like you could cheese the horse pretty hard with just general mobs because you just run circles around them and cleave your sword, cleave them in half. Because mm. it feels like the horse riding in Breath of the Wild, but it doesn't control like garbage anymore. Because <laughs> nice. I didn't like horse riding in that game at all. But here it's like, okay, this is a fundamental part of traversing this landscape. Because if you walked, I could imagine exploring all of this world would take hours. Yeah. Was there anything really surprising from the the test? I don't mean this in a bad way, but no. Like uh-huh. I've I've written about this before that Elden Ring is very much what I expected it to be cuz as you said it's gained almost like a mythical status among yeah. fans like oh this is going to be the greatest game ever made, but it 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 it's got all the building blocks to be spectacular, but it's also another Souls game. Like if you played Bloodborne, Sekiro, or Dark Souls, like this takes the core tenets of that experience and just elevates them into an open world format, but in a way that feels really inventive and clever. Like it's not like it's much like Breath of the Wild, but the exploration and the discovery feels quite nuanced and natural. Like you could walk in any direction in this world and find something interesting. You don't need to refer to the map or anything. You can just do your own thing and find cool shit. And I feel like that's going to be the really special part of this game because discovery in Dark Souls is always quite fascinating. Like overcoming the unknown and realizing like, oh, this world is like really depressing and evil, but I'm if I learn how it works and learn how it ticks, I can be clever enough to overcome it. And Elden Ring feels like that, but on a much vaster playing field mm. but also it's kind of hard to tell because i've only seen such a small chunk like i think the opening hours of this game will be very telling about what the rest of the game is like i'm i'm personally apprehensive because i'm i in all the hundreds of hours i put into bloodborne i was never like man this is great i wish it was open world yeah i'm with you so, and that's just, I guess, my bias against open world games and the sort of tedium and thoughtlessness that sort of comes with it, where you just fill a big map with map markers. And, yeah. Um, are are there a bunch of map markers? I should have started there. <laughs> uh, not really. Mm-hmm. There, there are map markers. I probably should have taken more notes. But it's not like it's nothing like Ubisoft or bloody... Ghost of Tsushima, like it feels yeah. like discovering this open world is very much on you. Like the story is equally as cryptic as it was in Bloodborne or Dark Souls or whatever. Like it doesn't explain much. You're you're the tarnished, so you're basically just the chosen undead but with a different name and you've come to this serious land to find the Elden Ring and that's all the 
NPCs in the world refer to you like, oh, my dude, like you've come to this land, like it's a real bad scene, like, but you need to find mm-hmm. the Elden Ring. Like, that's pretty much what all the NPCs say. You can kill all the NPCs if you want. That's what I did. But I don't think it's open world for the sake of being open world. I feel like the core design of this game is is fit into that format. It's not from software going, oh, we've done all of these different settings now. We have to go open world. Mm-hmm. At least I hope that's not what the case is because if this world feels empty, then you'll just want to go to all of the curated areas and progress through the story. And that won't be very fun at all. This might not be a question you can answer, but does it feel particularly George R. R. Martin esque? No, not in the slightest. Do you think he actually had anything to do with this game? I think he wrote a Google Doc and sent it across on a weekend. Yeah. Like, my guess is, from what I've read up, he did the foundation of the world, gave it uh-huh. to Miyazaki, and he filled in all the blanks. Because to me, the lands between, that's what it's called. And the way all the rings intertwine in the logo it makes me think this is almost like a dimension or a plane that sits in the middle of all of the other worlds that From Software has created. Mm-hmm. So in that aspect, I think the Elden Ring is just a way to converge or unify all of those universes. So maybe there'll be en- references to that kind of stuff. But I, it doesn't feel like Game of Thrones or anything at all. It feels like From Software. I do so think it, there's going to be dragons. Oh, yeah, there is a dragon. Yeah. Do you see it in the test? I couldn't. I saw the I saw the area it's in in the trailer in the test, but I couldn't figure out how to get him to come out. So maybe he just wasn't there. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Yeah, so there is another test, um, and it'll be open to, to more people than just media, I think. Yes, the codes went out today, and it kicks off on the 12th, I think. Okay, perfect. Uh, cool, yeah, so by the time you're listening to this, um, you might be able to get your hands on it, too. Uh, any other thoughts about the, the test? It's real good. Like, I think this yeah. game is going to be absolutely fantastic but part of me thinks that it's not going to change the world like people think it will i think it's just going to be a very good from software game and that's okay but i'm one of those people who's quite i'm a bit of a boring realist so i'm like this isn't going to change the world like it's a good video it has game. to it has we'll to see. it has to heal the world it does it needs to cure cancer or it's a six out of ten <laughs> uh okay cool let's take a quick break and then Well, we'll come right back to talk about, and I'm going to butcher this. Here we go. I've never said these words out loud before. Shin Megami Tensei 5. Oh, you got it. First time. You nailed it. Fuck yeah. Be right back. What a massive week for Jade King. I know, it's when it's when you put in the slot, so I was like, is no one else going to fucking volunteer? <laughs> played all the video games? No, I don't mind. You've been reviewing, you had this, actually, some good lead time on Yeah, SMT we had this for, for a long time. I definitely Perfect. finished it. And how many hours did you put into it? Oh, for review time, I clocked in about 35. Okay, that's... That's a, a lot quicker than I expected for um, a big JRPG like this. I didn't finish it. Don't tell, don't tell Nintendo. Uh, 
they might be listening to this. Oh, All man. of Nintendo is a huge I'm fan sorry. of the show. I'm sorry, guys. Big Doug Bowser, guys. Reggie, they email me every done? week, and they were wondering about your thoughts on Shin Megami Tensei Five. I don't know anything about this franchise other than that Persona is a spinoff of it, and people get mad if you say that. They do. They real. They really do. So, Shin Megami Tensei, I think it debuted like decades and decades ago, and I think it was waning in popularity. So Atlas's idea was to go, okay, we'll do some spin-offs, and then Persona, from the first game, almost eclipsed Shin Megami Tensei in terms of popularity, but it 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 kept the subtitle until Persona Four on the PS2, mm. and then Persona Five came out and was kind of like the biggest JRPG ever in a lot of yeah. ways. So obviously Shin Megami Tensei Five is releasing in the shadow of that popularity and a lot of critics I, I made vague allusions to like the influence being impossible to ignore but a lot of critics were quite down on Shin Megami Tensei 5 because it didn't have the relationship dynamics or the character building or the plot and style of Persona 5 despite the fact that it's very much not trying to it's very mm-hmm. much a different game in it, in its tone and storytelling but I can also understand why some JRPG fans who've never played a Shin Megami Tensei game before might come to this one and be like, oh, it's it's not it's not like rustling my jimmies like Persona 5 would. Right. So over the years, have the two series just they've just become such different things or were they always completely different? So I don't have a lot of experience with Persona 1, 1 and 2, but... Uh-huh. The battle systems with both games have always been quite similar. Like Shin Megami Tensei revolves around recruiting demons and exploiting weaknesses, much like Persona. Once you find a weakness of an enemy, whether it be lightning, fire, or whatever, when you use it, you get an extra turn. And if you abuse that system, you can come out on top without taking any damage. And Persona and Shin Megami Tensei have those battle systems. So they're, mm. they're very similar in terms of the moment-to-moment gameplay. I think it's different in terms of like exploration and storytelling. That's where the divide is, because a lot of hardcore Shin Megami Tensei fans, like massive dickheads basically, will be like, oh, you need to play a real Shin Megami Tensei game. But Persona 5 is not a real SMT game. And I'm like, you guys are helping nobody. Like when I put the tweets out for the preview and and the review, and they were retweeted by the publisher, all of the mentions were just, finally, a review that doesn't refer it to Persona 5, or gets it. <laughs> I bet it's not that hard. You probably just played it on game journalism mode. And I'm like, who are I'm you cool. people? Like, Good, 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 good. Okay, so what is Shin Megami Tensei 5 about? Okay, so like previous games in the series, it's essentially about the end of the world. You play I... as a dude. You name them yourselves. He's just a high school student. He does his normal thing. He's like a brooding emo. One day you're walking home from school. You interrupt a scuffle underneath a tunnel. It collapses on you. And you wake up in a post-apocalyptic vision of Tokyo. Like, everyone's, everyone's dead. Like, there's no humanity left. And the only things remaining are demons. And you're about to get murdered. But then a giant blue light fuses with you and then you turn into a demon hunter essentially and you're the first like five six hours of the campaign is essentially you progressing through this wasteland learning to recruit demons understanding like vague hints of why this world has ended and what has happened and then 
towards the 10-hour mark, you're transported back to Tokyo, and then it becomes clear that the world... So this is confusing. So the world ended 20 years ago, but God decided, nah, that's not happening. So he basically okay. created a, a parallel version of Tokyo that exists in its own dimension that you live in that isn't actually real. So And then the campaign pretty much follows an ongoing conflict between celestials and demons and lots of like neon genesis evangelion esque like religious imagery and moral examination of those themes in a really like cool as shit way that's so dark and depressing like it's not it's basically like yeah everyone's dead the world's ended but we just need to get on with it (laughs) all right so let me essentialize this for dummies then this is the matrix with demons yeah maybe basically it's the way it depicts, because when people compare it to Persona, this is the bit that always confuses me. Chimigami Tensei is so depressing; like it is like bleak to an extraordinary degree, and it mm-hmm. and it and it very much knows that. Like when you're in the post-apocalyptic vision of Tokyo, like demons just treat it as normal. It's like, oh, the world's ended, but like there's no people around now, so at least we can just chill out, and you kind of just have to. Your character doesn't speak aside from a few decisions you make in dialogue, mm. and you meet a few a few students are eventually transferred over to the parallel world or whatever, and then you speak to them, you befriend them, but you don't ever learn about them as much as you would in Persona, and I think that that pissed a lot of people off because they're like, oh, I don't care about these characters, but I don't think you're supposed to care about them in the way that you care about characters in Persona. They're very much just. Mm young people caught up in this and like the world's ending and maybe we can save it maybe we can't but your your mission is just to keep moving through and trying to survive because the game is punishingly hard so what is the big hook is it the difficulty i think so it's hard to tell because i've only dabbled in nocturne and played loads of persona but judging from the fan base and the the lovely people in my Twitter mentions. <laughs> I think people love Shin Megami Tensei because it's really challenging and it's really like foreboding and grim because even even on lower difficulties, if you go into a battle, you can just get smoked. And this isn't a game where it's like, try again, it kicks you back to the title screen. So if you haven't saved in like an hour, you've lost all that progress and the game doesn't care. Like a lot of the campaign can be you grinding and fighting to achieve and beat a boss fight and when you eventually do you feel like the coolest person on the planet but then you take another 10 minutes forward and then you meet another big enemy and he kicks your ass and it's immediately like oh okay i'm not strong i'm still a little bitch and i need to like (laughs) it's punishing in a way i wrote in my review that this is not a game for everyone and i think Mm -hmm. atlas is very much fully aware of that this isn't trying to be persona 5 or appeal to that larger demographic Damn, a lot of hard games this week for you. It is. It's a hard game. But I, Are you going to be I okay? I'm, I don't know. Maybe. Can <laughs> you play a little Mario? A little Kirby? <laughs> little baby? Little baby? But, no, like Shin Megami Tensei 5 is fantastic, but it's not for everyone in a way that is... I think that's, also, I think that's a testament to, to what the game manages to do in a lot of ways. Like, yeah. I was speaking to some other reviewers who... Well, like, oh, I don't like this. It's too hard. It's it's not like Persona, like I expected it to be. And I understand that that perspective, but also I understand that this is a game that 
fans of the series have been waiting almost a decade for and it's the mm-hmm. first one on a home console like this that is use it has the production values and the execution of persona like it doesn't feel like it's playing second fiddle to that series anymore mm. and is it quite visual novelly too is it really dense with the story and dialogue stuff no, not at all, really. Then there's, mm. there's there's a few dialogue scenes, but they're very few and far between. Like you can spend like three plus hours just exploring the world, fighting and taking on quests. Like it's not it's not nothing like Persona in terms of story. Mm-hmm. If anything, I think the story can be a bit too abstract at times. Like there can be there can be too much time split between major narrative revelations. So I think people who are looking for a more guided experience with that stuff to keep them going will probably be turned off by this because it's it's mechanically driven in a way that Persona isn't, I don't think. But I haven't I bounced off Persona 5 a couple of times until I played Royal because I thought it was too dense in how it held your hand. Mm. So it's really about the battles, the combat. Yeah. Which which can get repetitive because mm. as I said, it's punishing in a way where like you need to grind for experience. But once you figure out the ins and outs of each enemy and how to defeat them, like fighting them in battle is just, okay, I'm going to use this combo. I know your weakness. I'm going to kill you. And then I'm going to move on. And sometimes it can get a bit stressful. Like even if avoiding combat is pretty easy because you can just Naruto run around people. Wait, it's not turn-based? Oh, it is turn-based. But like the way you explore, it's not random. It's kind of like enemies are on the field and they'll chase after you. Unless you're okay. high level and then they'll run away. Gotcha. This sounds like an extremely old school turn-based JRPG with a yeah. super high budget. This game could have come out 20 years ago and I would, I would have been like, okay. Yeah. That's a compliment. That's not saying it's like <laughs> archaic garbage. But no, it's it's great. Like I'm, <laughs> I probably sound down on it because it's such a depressing and punishing game. But that's very much to its, not detriment, good to its good. Good game. Yeah. Uh, excellent. What was your score? Four out of five. All right. What's uh, what do you have coming up? Oh, in terms of games. Yeah. I don't know. Endwalker. I'm playing uh-huh. a bit of Forza, which is lovely. And then, oh, I can't. No, I can't say that on the podcast. I can say yeah. it's like it's top secret Ooh. right now. But yes, exciting things. Um, if we're and a little bit of a slowdown before December hits. Then we've got a lot of stuff. And then it's just nonstop, like January, February, especially. Oh, my goodness. February is... Yeah. Something has to get delayed, right? Oh, 100%. Midnight Saint Sun's Pro. already got I think delayed. Saint will get delayed. Um, so I've got Dying Light 2 preview this week. Oh, wow. Be able to... Exciting. Yeah, I'll be able to talk about that next week. Um, other than that, I can't, I don't even I'm not even sure what comes out next week, but whatever it is, we'll play it. We'll be talking about it. <laughs> we are, we are we are like occupationally obliged to talk about these videos. It's games. like literally like my job. It is. It's scary. You have to keep up with the gaming. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for your expertise. You're very welcome my my jrpg rambling <laughs> that's our show for the week and as always thank you so much for listening if you want to read more about shin megami tensei 5 or elden ring you can follow the links down in the description we'll see you next week <laughs>